0: welcome back to the podcast as always. So glad to have you here. Um, and also so glad that we'll get to see a lot of you on Sunday. Um, just a reminder, we are meeting in person this Sunday at 10am. Um, please do wear your masks. Um, we are trying to make the best safest most aware decisions that we can in terms of meeting together and just being aware of everything that's going on especially with covid numbers Um, and this is one of the way in which we get to love each other is through masking up Um, that's something that we hold in our community and so if you are going to join us Uh, in person, we would love to see everyone in masks, but we're also just excited to see people um, and be around each other. And I cannot believe, as always, how quickly time goes. I fully believe time is a construct at this point. Um, There's no way that it's August 13th, 2021. That means that 2022 is you know just a mere four months away Uh, not that anyone really needed that reminder but here we are so Um, and maybe why time feels like it's not exactly going at a uh, normal pace is that we've spent three weeks here in more or less the same passage and so i really enjoyed ryan's uh, discussion last week um, if you're all able to be there i really missed everybody glad again to be home and that i'll get to see you all on sunday um but in that beautiful labor of love uh most of the things that i was going to talk about this week uh, ryan already kind of spoke to so i will only have a few thoughts to really add or, or give uh from my perspective this week but Again, hopefully we can just share some time to reflect on the past few weeks and even just spend some more time processing where we're at both as a community and as a world right now um, on Sunday. And so hopefully we'll just create more space for that kind of conversation if that's what folks need and wanna work towards. Um, We'll do a little bit of both, but all that to say, um, we are back in John chapter 6, according to the lectionary, um, and we are in this text of talking about Jesus as the living bread, um, the eating of flesh, and drinking of blood, and all that good stuff. Um, so I will go ahead and read this week's take, or passage, and then we will get into it. I will just see what comes. So, John six fifty one through 58 I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like that which your ancestors ate and they died but the one who eats this bread will live forever the word of god for the people of god so uh, no this is not the intro to a zombie vampire crossover however um I have seen this passage uh, referenced to that way uh, by folks who did not grow up with a Christian narrative and kind of questioning uh, where this comes from and how one could interpret uh, this passage. And if I didn't have my own context to kind of rely on, I would probably think the same thing. Um, And as we've talked about, Uh, a little bit, often there is this just kind of jump, we just automatically fill in uh, the gaps from this passage into communion, the Eucharist, and we have um, what I think is one of the most beautiful um, communion liturgies as we talk every week about God is with us, yes she is, that we become one with the suffering of Christ as he becomes one with ours and whether you eat or don't eat, drink or don't drink, you're welcome to come out in new life. Um, and I think there is so much goodness and um, you know we've talked about our communion practices before uh, there is so much goodness in having more of those conversations but I do think there are just a few more things that I would offer. Um, about this passage in and of itself. Um, that doesn't necessarily fully get into well, what do we believe about communion and why do we do this practice every week, not, you know, once a year or etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, forgive me if I sound a little bit too hipster, try hard uh, youth pastor right here, but. I want to make a distinction and maybe try um, try out understanding this text from a place of thinking about it in terms of internal life versus eternal life. Um, sorry about it. I'm just going to go with it. But just to repeat some of the things that Ryan has already brought to us uh, to talk about how Jesus made this inclusivity of the table. Um, and that even in the ways that Jesus responded to some of the elites was a way of decentering himself. Um, you know, that there are all of these pieces of this passage that are, yes using this I language but as even Kevin has brought up uh, in a couple of the discussions about talking about how Christ Mm -hmm. is talking here um, versus the the person of of Jesus and so I think there is enough that we can say um, to kind of just give a little bit different perspective of what this eternal life um, is being talked about here and also to talk about um, the communal aspect of the gospel and of salvation, um, and all of these, all of these things. So to just kind of jump into it, we're talking about the spiritual bread and uh, blood and all of these things, but let's not forget that at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus starts out by actually physically feeding um, people, focusing on the the physical need first before getting into the spiritual needs. And if we take this as, you know, a narrative that reads all the way through, and in this chapter, I I like to believe that this would have been the way that Jesus would have done it, to feed people first, to focus on fulfilling a direct need, and then getting into some of this stuff um part of our christian heritage and uh, history is that there were many times in which missionaries would go out and the people of that area would be required to profess a belief before they were fed or given you know whatever was that they were handing out Um, And so that was like your entry ticket was to say, this is what I believe, even if it meant um, giving up an actual belief or, um, you know, aspects of your identity. And so I appreciate that uh, this idea from the first few verses in John chapter six, let's start with caring for the physical needs, and then we can get into a space of talking about what Jesus goes into. Um, The other thing within this passage is that, you know, sometimes we do have this roadblock of taking things too literally or too seriously, um, that we have to be so right about how we say something um, about a belief or what have you, And I think this got in the way in the people that Jesus is talking to here, even the disciples. Um, And just, I think even sometimes in our own discussions, when we ask these big questions, even like the ones that Ryan posed last week of what is the importance of Jesus for folks who are in this progressive post-Christian, post-church lens, that sometimes there is this roadblock of feeling like, I have to... I have to sound right or I have to really truly believe or or think about what I mean before I try things out and I think there's a little more grace especially in a community like ours to field some of these questions and to play um to play around with some of these ideas because it again, if I were to receive these words directly from Jesus, I would have a few questions, much like the disciples do. Um, but we see in even the words that they are using here, they responded asking, like, what does it mean to actually like munch on this flesh? Like very literally. Um, whereas maybe we're talking more about a spiritual bread and life. Um, I also, just to kind of get into the idea of how we've come around a table um, and how we even engage in the practice of communion, that it is communal. Um, and I had come across this quote from uh, a theologian that really just focuses on that communal versus individual aspect, since the Bible is more communal than individual. Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, not my Father. Paul uses the phrase our Lord 53 times, and my Lord only one time. Jesus is my personal Savior is not found in Scripture. We are the people of God, and we belong to each other, and more or less makes a note of like, this is not to dismiss, you know, what it would be like to have or feel like having an individual relationship with God, but it's to remove the individualism Uh, from faith to focus on this is bread that was coming to all Um, whether you eat or don't eat drink or don't drink all are welcome at the table Um, and another thing that's really kind of helped me as I've focused on processing what does this idea mean of eternal life and how did I get to a place of maybe focusing on What does it mean to have an internal life? Um, Hear me out as I I share this quote. Uh, Jesus does not say, The food that gives you life after death. Afterlife is not his subject. For him, eternal life is a mode of intimate, mutual indwelling with God that can begin here and now, well before death. Precisely as intimacy with God, it cannot be limited by death. But the key point is not that eternal life is a longer life but rather it's a life with and in God. In other words, as Jesus presents in John, eternal life is a matter of quality of life, not quantity of life. After all, eternal doesn't mean lasting a very, very, very long time, since even the longest time is still temporal. Indeed, it's all the more temporal, the longer it lasts. Eternal life means a life of intimacy with God that transcends time altogether. In that sense, a timeless life of beauty and of grace. I loved the way that Ryan acknowledged how, in this chapter, Christ is almost painting himself as outside of time um, and to focus less. As is often the focus within Christianity of this like eternal life I have to believe these things say these things uh, you know do these actions in order to get this eternal life so I'm not damned to eternity in hell Um, but instead to focus on how eternal life is this intimacy with God and with one another that can be happening right now it is the quality over the quantity. Um, and I keep seeing this shirt, and I kind of think it's true, and maybe it's just my dark, darkened humor and sense of the world after working in the ICUs through the COVID pandemic, um, but it says everybody dies, but not everybody lives. And I th- one thing that I have learned time and time again um, from both the conversations I've had with people and my own study into palliative care, uh, which is a lot of care that's focused on kind of that end of life and um, minimizing suffering towards the end of life. And I think it's true that in considering what would make a good death, and I'll get to what that means, you figure out what makes a good life. Um, And so for us, as part of our practice um, in becoming ministry leaders, chaplains, uh, in a hospital setting was we had to envision our own deaths, not unlike, um, maybe practices you've come across in, uh, the progressive Christian circle where you envision your own death and you're asked what would be important to you, like before the end, or what would be the five things you'd want to hold on to the longest, um, and it's fascinating just how different, but also how similar um, these things are, based on the person and based on their values. And you're basically considering like, what, how would I want to spend the last moments of my life? And in doing so, you figure out what is the most important to you, or what is that center. Um, for me consistently, it's come up in the form of community, uh, of people, um, of being in my, like, places that I feel are so sacred, uh, both to me and to my relationship with Christianity and with faith, a lot of that being in mountains, um, and also, like, some of my senses as well, and so in all of these things, uh, My supervisors have encouraged me of like, you know, that you can partake in those things right now. You don't have to wait until death to be surrounded by those things. And it's not to, you know, go too far off on the like carpe diem mentality, but it's reminding us of how to orient our lives and also how disoriented our lives get from what are the most important things. And so, in that, I think this passage invites us to consider that eternal life is something that is happening right now, that is also outside of time. It is not about living longer or um, feeling so caught up or so shamed into, I have to do everything right so I maintain this afterlife, uh, you know, and I don't get. Shun to the dark side, more or less, um, but it's focused on how are you orienting your life, uh, towards others, towards decentering yourself, um, towards the divine, um, towards recognizing goodness, um, in and through others, all of those things, um, and, you know, even, even in the, the messages or verses after this passage, it talks about how a lot of disciples walked away and they gave up following Jesus after the sharing of this message. And that willingness to lose followers, um, which the hipster youth pastor would be like, even Jesus was willing to give up all of his Instagram followers for the one true message. Sorry, I've been on way too many meme accounts this week um, for anybody's good. But basically, this idea of being willing to put out something that is so radical, um, that's not focused on the individual, but is instead inviting this communal gospel, um, communal understanding of, internal life um, of refocusing um how we orient our lives in and towards a table. Again, I don't feel like I'm saying much that's new, um, but here's a couple of more things. Um just to say I was asking myself this question this week. Um And I don't fully know how I feel about it, but that's the beauty of existing in a community like ours, where, you know, as easy as it is to feel like, well, I really have to have the right thing to say about, you know, who I believe Jesus is or what I believe the gospel is or whatever have you, I think there's enough space that we can play around and not get it all completely right. But the question I've been asking myself is, is would it be enough to just have this internal life versus eternal life um, in, the, in the traditional sense of you're going to have this super long afterlife and you'll be, you know, wherever, <laughs> wherever you are. Um, would it be enough just to have this internal life where you're grounded in your life right now You're sharing a table with others. You're seeking justice, doing what we feel called to do or resting as we are called to rest. Um, Would it be enough just for the right now to still engage in and to not walk away from this message that is maybe hard to swallow? Um, And what does internal life look like? What are the fruits of such a thing where you are spending... Energy, precious energy, towards um, really growing from this side, um, getting deep into the dirt or the pit of despair, as I like to call it. Um, you know, I feel like healing, healing our own emotional wounds, physical wounds, even throughout our life, is something that is part of the practice. As we are part of this balance of suffering and of joy, of grief, um, of all the in-between, that Jesus came to us even as a wounded healer. Um, Jesus had spaces in which he was completely vulnerable. Um, Even in this idea of the breaking of bread, of the pouring out of blood, indicates that there's some amount of processes that are happening in and through Jesus's life that are painful, that are um, a stripping away of just his own self. And I think in that mirrors, um, you know, our calling to put work, uh, whether it's in therapy or in community, that we are spending energy working and healing our internal life um, so that we can stay oriented towards love, towards justice, um, towards forgiveness, and towards healing. Um, and I think that we see these cycles, as we've talked about before, Of life death and resurrection um, over and over again in our lives even in the bread making process right because of course we're gonna stick and use these metaphors that Jesus invites us into Um, yeast dies as leavened bread is made it is literally heated up so much as bread is being baked that the yeast that was helping rise this bread um, is put to death, and I think again we see this idea of even when you break apart the bread, uh, there is that that breaking uh, that's happening, and just like of course we gotta we gotta love at the very least some of these metaphors that point us towards um, God's communion with and for. Uh, us, and so I do like, and I do have to be careful, too, uh, in saying that, you know, God has given us, at least in that process of, of making bread and making wine, um, that it just, like, that doesn't come as a fully formed, um, like, object. They're both things that have to go through a process. In which humans have taken on, um, like, God... Peter Abelard has this quote, basically, that says, The Lord's Supper is about the transformation of true God and true man found in Jesus. God creates the grain, but raw grains are not digestible. It requires humanity to help transform the nutrition um, into something useful by making bread. This is gospel. God creates grapes, but they rot. Human humanity must transform the grapes into wine or they will perish. Um, now again, for all of our folks, I think the call here is very different depending on who you are. Uh, for some people, this is a beautiful representation of what gospel is, that we get to participate in this process and we get to take on some of the work and we get to join God. Um, in this process, and then other people honestly might look at something uh, this kind of interpretation and say, No, like we don't need to keep doing work in order, like, gospel's already here, God is already in this space. Um, you know, there's already sacredness even in the grain and in the grapes, and that would be enough. That's why part of the reason um, in our communion practice, it doesn't matter if you have. Coffee or uh, tortilla chips or nothing at all um, to participate in the meal. It's not about that object itself. Um, It is about the joining together. And so, again, take that as you will, um, if you find it interesting or don't. Um, It is just interesting about the process of death, of life, and of resurrection in even our. Break, or baking and breaking of bread um, and our making of wine. That some things have to be put to death um, in order for something to come out in new life. So, what does internal life look like? And I'm not going to answer that so much now um, as. I think it'll be a good starting point just for our conversation on Sunday. Um, but I also I wonder about what are the places in which we feel like we are still getting stuck about um, you know what it, what's getting in the way sometimes of even just accepting um, the the beauty of grace, the beauty of communion. I think in our world, we are living in such a time of anxiety and insecurity that, and I don't believe that we as humans can truly compartmentalize um, either. So what I'm saying there is that uh, something that I've even just today was talking about with my counselor is that, you know, I wish That all of this really deep, intense work that we're doing, um, as it's bringing up tons of past emotional wounds, things that I'm working on healing, that it's, it's pouring out, it's seeping out, and it's impacting the way that I'm going about my life today. The way that my relationships are functioning, that the same things and wounds that I had, I'm now fearful of where I'm at right now, Um, and same thing with with insecurities. I think something that is hard for us, that if we have a fear of abandonment or not being good enough um, for other people, that there's very few ways, especially if we're being honest with ourselves, in which that doesn't impact our idea of the divinity. When we try to compartmentalize and push a bunch of boxes into that closet and just say, I'll deal with those questions later, or I'll deal with those thoughts and feelings later, um, ultimately one day you're going to pull open that closet door and everything's going to pour out of all the boxes, and you're not going to be able to make sense of which box each thing came from until you begin to sort through all of it. and so. I just say that to, to help bring to light that, you know, it's okay to have big questions, and it's okay to try some things out. And we also recognize that we're very, very human, um, that we all have fears, that we all have um, insecurities and things that we're working through. Um, and I invite you to consider, are those things that are roadblocks in how you understand um, or, or are willing to engage different aspects of, of the divine and of even how we function together. Because ultimately, even though we want to convince ourselves that we can, we can't compartmentalize all of those things. Um, so the questions of what is that internal life? What's getting in our way right now? Um, and how how do we see our own divinity in our participation um, in a communal gospel? That this is something that is decentered away from ourselves. That it's it is about how we join together with one another. Um, a couple of things that I've learned from uh, this residency is that there's a Orthodox Christian uh, priest who who says um, we're all the or these leaders who are going into, um, hospitals and visiting folks, it's where the temporarily healthy attending to the temporarily sick, um, and that in reality, we're all just walking each other home, um, and so in those things, as we consider, um, what is that internal life, we have to focus and consider what would make a good death, um, and in that, what. Is it about Jesus' death and life and resurrection um, that we point to, that we consider? And this is a process in which we are looking behind and within. Um, and just to end us on a poem uh, that uh, I will find, again, the, the author of, but it's titled, That Behind and Within... And I think that's what these three weeks of being in this passage have allowed us to do. And this is particularly about the practice of Eucharist. Um, And maybe it'll also help uh, aid in our discussion on Sunday. Uh, But I'll, I'll share it with you to end today. It says, The Eucharist is the feast of seeing behind and within. Behind the bread to the sales assistant, baker, miller, farmer, to the plant, the seed, the earth, to the sun and moon, air and water, to the cosmic explosion that birthed the universe, to the God who is in all and through all, and also the knowledge that our eating starts another process that leads back to the earth and the perpetual recycling of the atoms, temporarily part and parcel of this bread, this particular part of the body of Christ. Indeed, the divine that is in this bread is a sign and symbol of the sacred process of recycling. So I hope that uh, in this very hodgepodge form of final thoughts to add to uh, this chapter in John, there'll be something that will help us uh, get started on Sunday. Uh, again, really excited to see you all and and that as we share every week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Amen.